Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. This morning, um, Daryl was so kind as to ask me to share a little bit after we reflect on this painting about an experience of grace in my life. Content warning. This one's about um, like a, a traumatic hospital experience and a, a birth. So if that's... I know I hate hearing stories like that, so if you want to leave, you can. Um, I would. So <clears throat> I want to start by giving the caveat that um, I'm going to tell an experience where I believe God intervened but that doesn't explain all the times that we do experience loss or when like a, a parent has a loss. And so I want to make sure that I don't imply that um, things going well means God was present and things going badly means he was not. That's not what I'm trying to say with this story. So the word grace has almost become a cartoon to me, uh, like most terminology I've learned in the church. Actually, Daryl told a great story about Martin Luther, who's one of my favorite um, thinkers. Um, I always thought it would be fun to start um, a uh, Reformation and Schism role-playing board game, because I think that stuff's fun, but no one no one wanted to jump on board. Um, but one thing that Martin Luther was trying to push back against was this transactional nature of God and the idea that grace was a currency. And that's an idea that um, Western Christianity has still can't really get rid of, is grace as a transaction, as a currency, as almost like coupons. Um, I remember in my um, Catholic household hearing someone say, I'm going to go to this service, or I'm going to go do this prayer, and it's going to stack up graces. And I'm like, are they pogs? Are they tokens or gambling chips? Well, I mean, that's not, that's not what this is. And I didn't really understand the idea of grace until a non-Christian used it in conversation, which is one way that I think, one thing I think a lot of us need to do is experience the, the fact that Christianity is full of ideas that a lot of people get without being here. And um, this idea of grace being just like free, like having grace on someone. I've, had, I've heard someone use that phrase have some grace on that person. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, throw some of my spiritual pogs that I earned? No, just just freely forgive, freely be generous. It's a it's and and step out of that transactional mindset because God's intervention isn't earned. Um, we can't really do anything here or elsewhere to like stack it up like like fuel or like a currency. Um, so there's this, there's not a whole lot of moments in my life where I'm like, yeah, like God directly intervened because I, I don't like to over-spiritualize my stories and I'm not a theologian, but this is just a story. Um, I was, um, in the hospital. Many of you know this. I was married at one point, which I think I believe in marriage and think it's great. I'm not now. And, uh, if you ever want, want to ask questions about that. I don't know, maybe don't. But uh, um, 
I'm going over my three minutes. This is a good story. So um, I'm uh, my my uh, the mother of my kids, who's an awesome person, is pregnant with my second son, and um, this isn't a time when my life is happy. It's not a time when I'm praying very much. I'm one of those bad Christians that's like, hey, it's me. We haven't checked in in a while, but it would be great if you could bail me out of this horrible situation. And I've always thought in those situations, I don't even deserve to pray because like, um, it's like checking in, asking your parents for money when you haven't talked for three years, you know. But I was still in that transactional mindset. Surely I haven't stacked up enough grace to earn anything. So we're in the hospital And the hospital is uh, at capacity. And so they put us in a triage room. Not a birth triage room, a literal triage room. And they can't get us our doctor that we prefer. So they send us a resident who is literally spinning in circles like me looking for my keys. And they tell tell my partner... um, we don't think you're really in labor. You should go home. And she's like, I know I am. And they're like, no, you need to go home. Come back when it's for real. So she stages a coup. And she says, I'm going to stab someone if you don't get a social worker in here right now. And in the middle of the night, um, she starts, uh, my son Felix decides he's going to come. We're in a triage room. We don't have the gear we need. What we find out later is that there just weren't any beds and they didn't have the guts to send us to a different hospital. The resident didn't know what he was doing. They didn't have the tools they needed. They didn't have anesthesia. And a little bit in, we start losing vitals. I've been standing next to this person for nine months, getting sick and being in pain and getting this room prepared and the vitals are dipping. There's more and more space between each heartbeat. And I never prayed harder in that moment. Just like whatever you are, I don't know if I believe in you and I sure don't like you right now, but I could use your help. I'm not saying you should talk to God that way. I'm just a storyteller, not a theologian. And at that moment, a doctor pushes the resident aside and says, I think the learning is over. It's time for me to take over. Pulls that baby out, and he is blue as an ice cube. And they give him the viability score, which is not looking pretty. And I'm panicking. They race him to the nest, and somehow, like, they just, like, you know, they do their thing. They just, like, get the gunk out of his mouth and smack him, and they get him breathing. Now he wakes me up at 5 a.m. every morning saying, I need something to eat, something to drink, something to watch. And again, I'm not trying to say that the success of the situation means that God showed his hand and other times when when families faced illness or loss and that that meant God wasn't there. But I believe that grace is an undeserved unwarranted intervention I think that we can experience it every day I think that we experience it at random I think we can experience it through other human beings cooperating with it whether or not they know they're doing it such as that doctor taking over and saving my son's life 
such as my partner at the time, literally saying, I'm going to stab someone if you don't get a social worker in here right now and let me stay in this room. I've seen, I've seen people cooperate with grace and I've seen human beings show up in supernatural ways that weren't in their skill set when they weren't thinking. And so I think the, again, I'm not, I've been here for like 20 minutes and I'm sorry. I think what we're going to talk about today is grace being a truly free thing, which is really hard for us to wrap our minds around because we also belong to a religion in which things are expected of us. It's the great paradox. Like things are expected of us. We're supposed to show up and do well, but also we're never really going to earn God's intervention. That's my little story. Hope you enjoy. And uh, Daryl's going to come up and take over here. I uh, I want I want to ask us or beg us to stress as Jesus followers stress stories like this when you're interacting with people um, when you're interacting with people who don't know Jesus especially when they're, when they're new Christians or they don't know Jesus very well we always we, I think we end up we often end up stressing the wrong things um, instead of God's beautiful infinite grace uh, to begin there and to stress it. So um, my daughter recently um, got this documentary on the 80s uh, and it reminded me that there was all this tension between uh, Russia and the USA in the 80s. Uh, <clears throat> and um, if you weren't, I mean, for those of you guys who weren't alive, then it's hard to, hard to describe or appreciate. There's just a ton of tension. Um, and uh, the, the, in our, in our country at that time, it was pretty common to, to stress the differences between Russia, the Russians, and Americans. Um, our politicians, our culture, our entertainment, um, just stressed and how different we are from each other. And obviously, we were good and they were bad. Um, and, and so those of you guys who were alive at that time, you know, there's tons of movies that, that kind of do that, like Red Dawn and Hunt for Red October. And one of my favorites, uh, Rocky IV, uh, the, the bad, bad Russians and the really great Americans. Um, and... It's a very it's an interesting thing. In the, in the documentary that Silver had, um, I, I was reminded toward the end of the Cold War, uh, president, the president at that time, his name was Ronald Reagan, uh, he basically gave this speech where he admitted, you know, I think that maybe if we spent too much time stressing the wrong Stressing the differences between us, um, and in hindsight, like when you, when you when you watch the documentary now, in hindsight, you're like, "Duh, of course." But obviously, that happens to all of us. Like as Jesus followers, we would say, "You know, Christ and His kingdom are most important." But in our lives, in our lives, we stress the wrong things. We spend our lives stressing things that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't want to stress. It's church leaders do this all the time. You know, we say uh, church is about pastoring people and leading people and furthering their faith. And then we end up stressing, you know, how much money we have and how many people are here and things like that. Not spiritual formation. Or our parents, you know, our, our parents talk to us about the important things in life. These are the important things in life. But then when we, you know, when we observe our parents, those aren't the things that they focus on. The things that they stress in their life are different than what they say. And when that happens, 
in, in any of our lives, we get to the end of a season in our life and we, we, get back, we can step back and be like, you know, I think, I think maybe I was stressing the wrong things in my life. I think we, maybe we stress the wrong things. And maybe we were, we were stressing a good education and good grades more than we've been stressing Christ, uh, more than we've been stressing learning in general. Uh, maybe, maybe we've been stressing COVID safety more than we've been stressing Christ. Maybe we've been stressing financial security more than we've been stressing Christ. So last week we, we were looking at chapter three of a book of Titus and the author of that book, a man that Jesus followers called Paul, the apostle Paul, he writes this important faith statement. And the summary of all the statement is this. Basically, I'm an incurable sinner and just, just at the right time, Jesus showed up. Like, just like... Like, like in, in Chris's story, just at the right time, the doctor's like, okay, I'm taking over. That desperate of a situation, just at the right time, Jesus showed up. Paul tells that. And, and I should say, let me, let me just say this. Point two doesn't make any sense if point one isn't true. If you're mostly a good person, who only does a bad thing here and there every once in a while, then you don't, you don't need to be saved. You just need to try harder. But if you're an incurable sinner, when Jesus shows up, it's powerful, like, like a doctor rescuing your kid. And even if, even if we know it's true, we don't feel it. We don't... I was explaining to everyone before we started this worship service, we get used to it. And we don't feel the desperateness of our situation. So I wanted people like Chris to share a story like that. And I, asked, I asked my friend Grace to come and share a story that I thought was perfect for this. So um, why, don't you, why don't you come on up and, and share, this, share this story to... to ooh, it's great. Testing. Okay. Hi, everyone. Hi. Oh, hello. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Grace Hun, and my family has been coming to Arbor Bridge since my daughter was two, and she is now five. Um, we haven't been to church in a while because of, you know, 2020, um, but we have just started coming back, and it's been really nice to just um, be surrounded by good humans and good humanity, community again. Um, so <clears throat> I was reading the Titus excerpt that Daryl has been talking about. And um, I love that part, you know, verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of, you know, anything we've done, but according to his own mercy, um, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. And um, Daryl has <laughs> crazy memory, and he asked me to share the story that he found one day that I had written on Facebook. Um, and it's actually about my husband, Nate. And um, Nate has no idea that this is happening. I didn't tell him. Surprise! <laughs> I like to embarrass him publicly, you know, without warning. <laughs> but um, so basically... This was in 2014, so many years ago. Um, we were in a kind of weird place in our lives. Um, Nate was actually uh, in command of all the military police at Fort Knox in Kentucky. 
Um, and I um, was working remotely at a ed policy firm um, for our many, many years of our army life marriage. Um, and I finally decided that I wanted to go back to Chicago to do what I loved the most, which was to teach. Um, so I had a few months in my adult life of like fun employment between my two jobs, which was incredible. And I decided that I want to go to Korea to see my parents who I had seen in like five years. So um, there are no direct flights on like Korean airlines from Louisville. <laughs> so my husband and I, we drove together to Chicago so that I could fly out the next day. He dropped me off at his parents' house and then he actually took his motorcycle, which had been stored there, this beautiful little Harley, and um, he motorcycled back from the north suburbs of Chicago back down to Fort Knox, Kentucky, and it took him like 12 hours. Um, I remember it was like also raining like heavily that day, and it was just, I remember he called me when he got home, and he was like, nobody talked to me anymore, like don't call me unless someone is dying, like I'm going to bed. Um, and so, you know, it's 10 p.m., I'm at my in-law's house, and um, I'm, like, so proud of myself for having, like, packed everything already and being so proactive, and I set a 4 a.m. alarm so that I can get to the airport. Um, my father-in-law is going to drive me. Um, and I turn on, like, a Korean drama to watch on my iPad. Um, for those of you that don't know about Korean dramas, they are very dramatic television shows. Lots of, like, slow-motion chasing, and lots, a very, a very familiar scene is like, you know, when people are at the airport, you know, and like people, you know, like the lines like, you know, cross and people don't meet each other, or don't find each other, lots of tears. Someone inevitably has cancer or has given their eyes to somebody. Um, that's Korean drama. So I'm watching this like really dramatic scene about a couple at an airport. And then all of a sudden I realize like, did I pack my passport? <laughs> So then it's 10.25, I get up, 10.26, I have frantically searched all of my bags, there is nothing. Uh, I, at 10.28, I decide to call my husband, even though nobody is dying. I am dying inside, is what I decide. And I call him, and he is, you know, exhausted, and I ask him, like, can you just look around to see if you've, you know, found my passport, is it anywhere? And sure enough, he calls me, and he's like, your passport is indeed on the dining room here in um, Elizabethtown, Kentucky. <laughs> and um, he confirms that like, you don't have your passport. He also confirms, like, no, you definitely cannot fly to Korea without your passport. And C, like, he does confirm that I am completely screwed. I, there's nothing that I can do. Um, I'm, like, having a meltdown. I haven't seen my parents in five years. This was supposed to be, like, the trip of my life. Um, and my husband says here's what we're going to do. I'm going to drive. I'm going to start driving right now. It's 10.30 p.m. I'm going to start driving north. You start driving south, and we're going to meet halfway, and we are going to get you your goddamn passport before your flight. So he starts driving. My amazing father-in-law decides he's going to accompany me so I don't fall asleep. We start driving, and we meet um, at like 2 a.m., close to like Lafayette, Indiana, um, at like this, we rendezvous at this abandoned highway exit, and I'm like hysterically crying. He knocks on my window, gives me my passport, says I love you, and he just goes home and goes to work. Um, and sure enough, I did arrive just in time 
at the terminal at the O'Hare Airport in Chicago, and I caught my flight to Korea. Um, even just thinking about it just gives me the sweats. Um, so I share this story because I didn't do anything right by Nate in that time. You know, I woke him up when he was really exhausted. I made him drive all night again after having ridden a motorcycle for 12 hours in the rain so that he could deliver something because of my mistake. Um, and just even like other things in our lives, you know, I had just decided I was going to move to Chicago and leave my husband in Fort Knox, Kentucky <laughs> until he finished out his military time. So we were, I had made this conscious decision to live separately, which was already hard on us. Um, I was going to Korea by myself, <laughs> you know, to have like a, a totally fun vacation without him. Um, and finally, like to make everything worse, the first week I was in Korea, Nate got like, the, he got shingles because he was so stressed out. So it's just, you know, bad things all around. I, I didn't do anything right by my husband, but he still showed up for me, like without question. And while I am the type of person to hold things over my husband's head all the time, I remind him constantly that he will owe me for life because I birthed his child. Um, he never brings this story up, ever. Because to him, that's just, that's just part of the life, you know? Like, I, he doesn't feel like I owe him anything as a result of what he did for me. He never talks about it unless I bring it up in situations like this. Um, and I share this story because I think Daryl recognized, like, this is a great story of a moment of pure desperation where, you know, somebody just throws you a bone and you barely make it out. Um, and, you know, if I'm being really honest, um, this pandemic has really messed with like my faith and how I view God, um, how I view the church. Um, and for me, as someone, you know, who works in medicine and something, if I believe in something, it's like the people that I see every day. I really believe in humanity. And I think oftentimes God reveals himself to me through people, through good humans, um, because sometimes that is all I can see. I can't fathom the big, you know, the great being above, but I can see my husband and I can see that his love for me is real. And I can see that his love for me is a gift from something that is beyond human effort. Um, so that's all I wanted to share. Don't know how to wrap this up, but honey, I love you so much. <laughs> You're the man. Thanks. Thank you. Yes. Uh, when I asked Grace, I loved that she, she, uh, she said that she wasn't going to tell him. He just gets to experience it here. Uh, um, often I don't have the desperateness of my situation without Christ in mind. And Grace's story and Chris's story give me tangible, desperate situations where, where clearly if Nate doesn't show up. And I, I'd love for us to transfer the desperateness of those two stories. Take those, the stories that, that you can relate with, that you know, you, if you've had a kid, or if you've been in a situation where you, if you've ever gone anywhere internationally, if you're at an international airport and you don't have your airport, you are not going anywhere. 
take that desperateness, the desperation of those situations and just transfer it over to Christ and then multiply it times a billion. That is what Paul, Paul is saying to Titus. I want you to stress that story. Stress it, make it clear. I want you to make people hear it. Jesus Christ did show up just when you needed him. And if he did not show up, you would have been in big, big trouble. And Titus, because he's like us, he's been a Christian, he's like, oh yeah, I know. And Paul's like, no, no. And he grabs, he would grab his face and say, look at me. If Jesus didn't show up, you were going to be in big trouble. Do you get it? And Titus might say, I think so. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will come so I can stress it to others. Stress that story. Paul goes on to say this. This is a true statement. Your desperateness, his goodness, this is a true statement. And I want you to be sure that people understand these things. Then those who believe in God will be careful to use their lives for doing good. These things are good and will help everyone. Paul wants us to, he's saying, stress this to all the people, Titus. Stress it to all the people. He goes on, he says, and then stay away from those who have foolish arguments, who talk about useless family histories, who make, up, who, who make trouble and fight about what the law of Moses teaches. These things are useless and won't help anyone. So Paul says, hey, stress the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. And then these things over here, he's comparing them. And when you compare them, they don't make any sense. They don't, clearly one's gigantic and one thing is why would we waste any time for that, with that? Why would we waste any time with that? He didn't want people to come to the end of the season in their life and realize, wait a minute, I've been stressing the wrong things. And in hindsight, in hindsight, we can always see it. We can be like, oh, I stressed the wrong things. But can we recognize it now? Um, to, so to help us think about um, if we're stressing the wrong things now, uh, let's think about what Paul says here. He says, stay away from foolish arguments. And the trouble about fighting about things that are foolish arguments is that when you're in the argument, it doesn't seem that foolish, right? When you've overheard other people arguing about something that you're standing back, you're like, that's a foolish argument. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know. So how can we tell if our arguments are foolish? Just a few things. Let me share. Um, so is the thing that you're arguing about being stressed more than Christ in our lives? If that happens, that's foolish. So in another place, Paul's talking about arguments again here. And this is what he says. He says, these things only lead to fights about ideas. They don't help God's work move forward. And that's the ultimate goal, right? For us to have God's work move forward. Does, does this thing that we're arguing about move God's work forward? So listen, um, and, and don't be mad, don't be mad. Over the past 20 months or so, I've had many, many what I call strong conversations and some, I guess, straight up arguments about how to handle COVID. And to be honest, those conversations have taken my focus away from Christ and his kingdom. That's wrong and sinful. So sometimes we're going to disagree and sometimes we might need to have some difficult conversations. But in the end, will those conversations lead us away from moving God's work forward or not? I mean, it comes, it, 
if it becomes that, then it's a foolish argument. It's distracting from the most valuable thing. And we'll get past all this and say, you know what? I've been stressing the wrong things in my life. Things that won't matter. Like, so here's a, here's a second thing that, that I, I ignore because I like to debate and argue. So will your argument change anything? Will your argument change anything? If you win this argument, what do you win? What do you win? What do you get? Will it matter a week from, from now? And if not, it's a foolish argument. So argue, argue, and then here's another angle on that. Are you arguing with someone that you know is not going to change their mind? That's a foolish argument. <laughs> and most of the arguments that we have with each other, we know. Most of, the, most of the arguments on social media, you know they're not going to change their mind. That's a foolish, it's a waste of time. And maybe we're stressing the wrong things. And, I, and again, I get sucked into this. So Paul is saying they're useless and won't help anyone. And that, that may even, even be the kind of conversations that you have with people that you live with or you, the, your partners that you love, et cetera. If, if, you, if you're talking with a loved one in an area that you know they're not going to listen, you're arguing with them about something that you know they're not going to listen, you're likely destroying their relationship so you can say your piece on a topic. So Paul calls these kind of, kind of conversations unprofitable and useless. And then three, this third one, um, how do you behave? This is my favorite. How do you behave when you're debating your super important topic? If there, and, and let me say it like this, especially for our, for our church family. If you consider yourself a part of this church family, then I'd love for you to listen to this. Listen, lean, in on, lean on this. If you're having conversations that you cannot have without behaving poorly, then I'm going to ask you in the name of Christ to not have those conversations until you can behave like a Jesus follower. Right? So for those of us who, who, who have arguments you know, like that, that, those are foolish arguments. Even, even, if the subject, even if the subject matter is not foolish, they become foolish. And let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. Um, I, even though, so many of you guys know I don't like chocolate, I do like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Weird, I know. You can counsel me later. There's nothing foolish about buying Reese's peanut butter cup. But if tomorrow, all of a sudden, the price of Reese's peanut butter cups go up to $200 each, then now that's foolish. It's this, why do I want to buy that? Why do I want to spend my money on that? That's foolish. It's too much money. Because, and it's not because Reese's cups are, are sinful. It's because of how much it costs. Right? When we have arguments in which we don't behave like Jesus followers, whatever you're talking about becomes irrelevant. The cost is too high if you behave in a way that makes the name of Christ look silly. The cost is too high. And so even if what you're, not, what you're arguing about is important or it's not a sinful thing, it becomes sinful because the cost has become so high. And it's foolish arguments. If we behave in a way that doesn't help God's work move forward or makes Christ look stupid, we can't, and if we can't have that conversation, we need to wait. In God's name, please wait. Please wait. And if it's an important conversation, then we need to do proactive work so that the Holy Spirit can make us ready for those kinds of difficult conversations. 
So when Paul was describing folks who were arguing about circumcision, um, which was, and again, I don't, I don't have to say, for those of you guys who are Jesus followers, circumcision, that topic for Jewish people is like off the charts important to them. Off the charts, super important to them. This is what, he, this is what Paul says about that. He says, they claim to know God, but their, their actions deny him. And this is what he says about them. Super strong language. He says, they're detestable Ow. If I said that about you, you would be like <laughs> losing your mind. He said they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Anything. It, it, here's why. Here's why. Here's why. They think what they're arguing about is ultimate when the only thing that's ultimate is Jesus Christ. And they make him look stupid by how they behave when they're arguing. When we get into those kind of arguments, we will get, we'll get to a certain period of our life. And if, if the Holy Spirit does any work when you, and you realize, you know what, I might have been stressing the wrong things back then. I might have been stressing the wrong things. When Jesus went on, was on earth, he would say this to, to religious leaders. He says, it will be bad for you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are, you're hypocrites. You give God a tenth of the food you get, even your mint, dill, and cumin. Um, but you don't obey the really important teachings of the law. Being fair, showing mercy, and being faithful. Which I think he's really interesting. He says that because in church, us going up in church, we think the law, everything in the law is equal, equally important. Jesus says, you don't obey the really important teachings of the law. These are the things you should do. And you should also do the other things. Jesus is saying, you've decided to stress the wrong things. You're stressing, you're stressing the wrong things. You can give a tenth of all you have. That's great. You should keep doing that. But I need you to stress mercy. Stress that thing. So in, in Titus, Titus 3, Paul's basically saying the same thing. He says, when he, when he writes, he says, don't focus on useless arguments. Instead, our people must learn to commit themselves to doing what's good. Stress that. Then they can provide for people when they are in great need. And if they do that, then they won't turn out, their lives won't turn out to be useless. Don't spend your life arguing about what is good. Do what's good. And that's what I want to say about folks in Arbor Bridge. I want to say, you know, I want people to say, man, those folks in Arbor Bridge, they do what's good because they've stressed the, the love story of Jesus Christ, grace, and their neediness and their desperateness for Jesus to show up. They stress that in their lives. So out of that, they say, man, I got to do what's good. And when foolish arguments come with us, I'm not talking about that. That's a waste of my time. I've got good works to do because Jesus has been good to me. Let me get to that. Let me get to that. And that's our, that's our reputation. What if the next time we find ourselves in a frustrating argument or frustrating conversation over something that, that we're passionate about, we stop and said, you know what, I've got to go. And, and we left and did something about that we're, we're, that we're passionate about. Then we can provide for people when they are in great need. So Paul, Paul doesn't want us to, to get to the end of our lives and realize that we, we spent our time stressing things that are, that, are, that are nice or right or whatever, but not as important as we thought they were. He wants us to spend our time stressing the, the, the kind of love that Nate expressed to his wife, the, the, kind, of, the kind of love that would, that would have the, the, the Lord come down when you could never go up, stressing that, 
stressing that, stressing, stressing that kind of graciousness and because it's just, it's a shadow of the graciousness that, that Christ has expressed to us. So over the next month and a half, I want to make it easier for you to do that. I'm going to make it easier for you to stress the right things in our lives. I want, to, I want to share a few opportunities for you to provide for people when they are in need and keep our lives from turning out to be useless. And, and you want your life to be like that because God's been gracious to you. Next Sunday, November 21st, our church leadership would love for you to help giving Thanksgiving meals to about 100 families in our community who could use a hand. Um, we'll arrive, you know, we'll arrive here at 8.30, then a, a truck from Bushes will arrive at 9 a.m. and we'll get food out, we'll take the food out of the trucks and get it ready to be given out. Um, and, and there are several different roles to play. I'd love, for you, I'd love for you to stress the graciousness of Christ in your life by helping us be gracious to others. So, quick thing about it. Uh, Michael and Carrie have done a super great job of inter- you know, giving us this opportunity for, for many years. Um, and being a part of it is like a blessing. It's a blessing for us. But even if it wasn't, <laughs> even if we showed up and after, after it was over, we were like, man, that was rough. That was super hard. That was just, oh, I did not like that. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that you had an opportunity to show the kind of descending love that God showed to you. That's what I'm inviting you to do next Sunday. That's what I'm inviting you into next Sunday. Um, child care will be available, so please sign up at the welcome desk. With my, fr- my friend Lauren will be there on your way out if you need child care. Um, and if you are not here today and you're listening, um, love for you to uh, go to the bottom. If you don't know my email, go to the bottom of every page of our website and reach out to me and say, hey, listen, Daryl, I'd love for you to uh, write me down for child care for next Sunday. Um, there you go. Sunday, December 5th, will be our Christmas sweater Sunday. Um, so that's the day I would love for you to wear your favorite Christmas sweater, Christmas outfit to, to, to our worship service. Um, also, it's going to be a day where we're putting out something that we call the giving tree. So giving tree is a Christmas tree with ornaments on it that describe a need in our congregation or our greater community. And by taking one of those ornaments, you're basically committing to meet that need. So the ornament may say like nine to 10 year old boy toy. Um, and so you pick, you'd pick that up, you'd wrap it, you'd bring it back here on Sunday, December 19th with uh, the, it wrapped and the ornament taped to the gift so we know, what, you know who it's for. I'd love for you to plan into your Christmas budget some financial margin to, to take care of someone in our community who could use a hand. December 5th, that will be happening. So first be here to, to participate and uh, create margin in your, in your budget to, uh, to help take care of that. Finally, a uh, third thing. Um, Saturday, December 18th at 9.30 at the Hope Clinic in Ypsilanti, they've asked for help getting their kitchen ready for holiday meals they'll be preparing for folks in need. So um, they, they specifically asked for six people to come help clean out grease traps in their stoves. Um, if you've ever done that, you know, 
dirty job, dirty job. But to be honest, um, to me, it's irrelevant how dirty it is. If they, they need it done to continue to help to, to serve vulnerable, vulnerable people this season. Um, and I figured we could do that. We, we could do that. It'd be a way for us to stress the right things in our lives instead of having our lives turn out to be useless by stressing the wrong things. So if you're willing to help with that, um, again, if you're listening online, you probably... I only need six people to do that. So um, if, you, if you're listening online, you probably should sign up, uh, reach out to me super quick because that, that may get filled up. Um, if, you, if you're here in person um, and you're willing to help, sign up at the, uh, the welcome desk on the way out. That is uh, whatever. December 18th at 9.30, we'll meet at Hope Clinic to do that. It'll probably take a couple hours. Um, and then uh, I'd love to go to lunch with you maybe if, if that works out. So... And again, uh, if you're watching online, you reach out, to, reach out to me quick if you want to be a part of that. So today, as we prepare to take communion together, I'd love for you to pause and think about what do you, what, what do you want to stress in your life? And are you, are you stressing the right things? Are you stressing the right things by how you, how do you use your time and what you get amped up about most? Um, Communion is a time when we think about the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. So if we do this properly, if we do communion each week properly, it, it keeps us from wasting our lives. If you, start to, if you start to move in that direction of wasting your life, when you do communion properly, you pause. It's a, it's a, it's a wake-up call to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think you're stressing what you really want to be stressing in your life. Take this time. Ask that question. For the person who takes communion seriously, he should never get to a never, never get to an end of the, uh, get to a season, end of a season in his life, and realize he's wasted it stressing the wrong things. Because communion calls us back. Each when we take take communion, it's, it's a it's a check ourselves um, to to be like, is this what I want my life to be about, and, and, and do I want it to be about something better? So let's pray together. I'll ask the Father to show us what we stress we stress our lives. You know, we, we what we stress in our lives. Um, and determine if that's what he wants us to put our focus on. Let's pray. Dear Father, uh, I want to thank you for Chris's story. I want to thank you for Grace's story. And I pray that it makes your willingness to intervene in our lives when we are desperate, when we are desperate. I pray that it makes it more real to us. I pray that we can feel it um, and, and we can sense our desperateness I pray that you would, uh, out of that, you would help us sense whether you do what we think you should do or not, that you meet us in those places. And I pray that we would stress that story. We stress that story to ourselves. We preach. We wouldn't just listen to our, the, our thoughts. We'd preach to ourselves. Remember, remember when God showed up for you. And then... Out of that, out of stressing that story in our lives, we would spend our life doing what's good, doing what's right, instead of foolish arguments and getting sucked into to, to, to conversations that don't benefit anyone in the end. I pray, I pray that during this time of communion, you would help us write any any of our any of our energy that's going in that direction. Help us write it. And then I pray that over this next month and a half that you would show us 
Maybe it's one of these three things that I've just mentioned for our church family to be involved with. Maybe it's more than, more than one, but just, just that we, during this month, next month and a half, when people are often very vulnerable to feeling alone, to feeling brokenhearted, we, you would use us to meet those people, meet them, meet them where they're at. Cause you met us where you met us where we were at, where we were at when we were desperate for you. I pray that you would show us in our lives where we're stressing things that aren't as valuable as we think they are. And then I pray that you would redirect us towards the things that you value most. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.